Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Welcome, Cove Church. It is so great to be with you online today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about bold, a bold confrontation. We're going to be in Galatians 2. We're continuing in our series it's called the Gospel of Done. So uh, in Galatians, it's really about the gospel being done. You can't add anything to it. can't take anything away from it. It reminds me, uh, as I intro this, I, I actually, on Thursday morning, I went to, my, my mom gives a random text to me. She says, says, hey, so-and-so's house just burnt down. And then she gives the location, which is right across the street from her. Actually, it's kitty corner in the backyard from her. And I go, oh no, whoa. I'm thinking, are they safe? Do I need to go over that? What's going on? So I jump on the phone, I call my mom. Mom, are you all right? There's no answer. So I call my dad. There's no answer. I get over there, fire trucks all over the place. And I'm looking from their backyard. It turns out they're okay. So just put you at ease. <laughs> they were fine. They were helping out with, with the lady whose house had burned down. But, um, but I get over there and I'm watching these firefighters and the house was completely engulfed in flames at one time. And they went directly into the fire. There was a bold confrontation. And I thought to myself, man, in my walk with Jesus, there has been many times where I have needed bold confrontation. I needed someone to just step up and say, that's not right, Dwayne. And here's why. Lovingly, graciously. I haven't always done this uh, This this bold confrontation thing well. In fact, I remember my days, uh, my BC days, my before Christ days, before I had really um, started following Jesus. And, you know, in those days, I was kind of more of like, uh, I had a kind of more of a gangster mentality. I was quick to get into trouble. I'll just put it that way. And I was with a buddy of mine, and we were, we were like, you know, partners. And we're going across the street and this big, huge truck zooms by, revs its engine. The guys holler out, you know, they're saying all this stuff. And so, you know, gangster me, I holler back at them. I say something, you know, not going to let them do me like that. Well, these guys, they turn into the parking lot that I'm in and they, they get out of their trucks, their truck, and they come over to me. And these guys are like 12 foot tall. <laughs> They're like 500 pounds of solid muscle. It was scary. And I'm looking at my partner like, I don't know if I want to go to war with this guy. <laughs> and so they get up to me and they're like, what's up? You want to fight? And I'm like, hi, uh, my name's Dwayne. This is my buddy, Johnny. <laughs> How you doing today? Do you live around here? What's going on? 
<laughs> they were thrown off, to say the least. I haven't always done bold confrontations well. And in this case, I'm embarrassed to say that it, there was nothing bold about it. But I think we could take from example the firefighters that when bold confrontation happens well, fires can be put out. And people can actually be built up is what we're going to learn here in Galatians 2. And we're going to start in verse 11, uh, and we're going to read through 11 and 14. I'd love for you to follow along. And here we go. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. So we have Paul here. He's, he's writing to the Galatian church. He's talking about how he had to oppose Peter at one time in Antioch. I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some, of, uh, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? We all understand the awkwardness that we're experiencing around wearing masks, not wearing masks, um, being vaccinated, not being vaccinated. There's, there's some awkwardness around that and how we interact with each other, right? Imagine the church, the early day church here. <laughs> For the church, imagine them asking, so are you circumcised? Are you not circumcised? <laughs> are you eating meat at sacrificed idols? Are you not? I mean, there's no doubt that there's some major HIPAA violations going on here. <laughs> and Paul had a couple of major problems here. The first problem is that based on his revelation from Jesus, he got it directly from Jesus, we read in chapter 1. This revelation, it, it was that the gospel is done. And so he goes from city to city and all through Galatia, all the different cities there, and he starts these house churches all over the place. And these house churches were started around a common table. And what I mean by that is that you had the religious folks, um, you had the God-fearing folks, you had the prostitutes, you had Jew and Gentile, and everybody in the middle. So that's how he started his church. And then Peter comes in and he's, he's stirring things up, right? So this would have been a problem for the, Jew, uh, the Jewish converts at the time. Because they were raised their whole life to believe that, um, that the, the Gentiles, they were not supposed to 
commingled and were not supposed to eat at the same table. But more than that, to understand the, the nature of the accountability piece here, that what's happening between Paul and Peter, we have to hear a little bit of the backstory. Because just a few years, a couple of years prior to this, Peter actually has this vision. You can read about it in Acts 10 and 11. And this vision, he, he basically hears from God that what God has made clean, no one can call unholy. And it was in relation to, to food that previously Jews could not eat. And it was also in relation to people. So God gives this revelation to Peter. Simultaneously, Peter uh, gets confronted by these two Gentiles to go to a man's house by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile man. Peter gets there to Cornelius' house. The, the nature of how he gets there, it's all miraculous. It's a wonderful story. You should definitely read it. Um, and so Peter then starts to preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius, to all the people in Cornelius' house. And the Holy Spirit falls. And, and everybody in the house, all these Gentiles start speaking in tongues and showing manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter says, in fact, in Acts 10, 34 and 35, he says this, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That's the revelation. So he gets it. God shows no partiality for any man, not Jew, not Gentile. So how is it that we have Peter, who understands God shows no partiality, to... Peter at the table with the other guys showing partiality. First of all, I think it's important to note that Peter had a past, like us. He had some days that were before Christ. And part of his past was the Jewish thought process, right? All the bias and stuff that would have came from being a Jewish nationalist, and now Jesus is calling him to leave that behind and to move forward by only faith. So he's telling Peter, you're not that person anymore. Now you're defined by your faith in me. You don't need to keep the law. You don't need to do all of those things. In addition to that, Peter, like many of us, he had biases that were based on this past life. It was difficult for him to relate to the Gentile people. He didn't know how to love them. He didn't know how to minister to them. There was no common ground. And Paul, seeing Peter sitting with this group of men, he says, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You yourself don't even keep the law. <laughs> you live like a Gentile, and yet you're telling the Gentiles that they need to live like a Jew. And it's almost like Paul would come alongside each of us and he would ask the church, hey church, is there room at your table 
Is there room at your table? Is there room at your table for the people that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, that don't have the same thoughts, past life experiences, um, and even experiences with God that you have? But it's hard, right? Because we, we live in the days of, of algorithms and social media where there's a group for everything, every political view, everything that you would think about race or gender or um, home decor or cat people and dog people or cake people and pie people. There's just groups for everything. And it's always trying to squeeze us into a mold. It always seeks to divide and to segregate. But the church of Jesus Christ was never designed to partake in the divisions of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is des it's designed to redeem and unify the world. That every single person would find a spot at the table. This last year, I have just been so convicted of this because... Um, We've seen a lot of the discrimination, um, racism, bullying, bias, all these different things have been stuff that throughout my whole life, I, I didn't bring those topics up to other people. You know, I always thought that my friends, they, if they ever had a problem, they would just talk to me. You know, we were friends. Um, in fact, I even grew up with, uh, with the understanding that there is a couple things you never talk about. You never talk about religion and you never talk about politics. <laughs> and so this last year, I've been so convicted because we see what's going on. We see how there's so much division and so many groups of people. So this year, I've actually made it a point with all of my friends to start having tough conversations around these issues. And in so, it's been so great. It's been so liberating. It's been so freeing to, to see my blind spots, to, to have others uh, share in that and, and to maybe be able to speak some truth in others. Man, it has just been so great. And my therapist would say, <laughs> that's where the healing can start, is in the sharing. Is there room at your table? So in order for that to happen, you have to allow bold confrontation in how you view others. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Allow bold confrontation around where you're finding your justification. Galatians 2, 15 and 16, it says, You and I, so this is Paul again talking to Peter still. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So to Paul, the matter of Peter sitting... <clears throat> 
with this kind of works-based crew, not sitting with the Gentiles. It's, it's not just a bias thing. For Paul, he actually says this is a theological issue. This is a problem theologically. As spelled out in the text, the question of justification is, is really a question of how am I made right with God? For Paul, this question is, is what the gospel hinged on. And nothing, nothing really has changed for us since this day. Because we need to apply a truthful answer to this question in everything we do. In our recovery, in our serving, in our giving, in our marriages, in our parenting. This question influences every aspect of life. Because recovery, uh, marriage, parenting, being a good person, um, all these things are great and healthy things, but they are not the things that make you right with God. And this is where we need each other. We need each other to kind of dig a little bit deeper, to, to have a bold confrontation. Why do we do what we do? The last six years, uh, I've, I've been experiencing um, great gains in my ministry life. Um, I've gotten to build ministries. I've gotten to um, just really love what I do in, in being a pastor and all these different things. And it's, it's just been fantastic. And then COVID hits. COVID hits and it shuts everything down. And, and the things that I was doing at the time of COVID was in recovery and it was in um, volunteering and assimilation into the church. So with the onset of COVID and everything being shut down, nobody wants to attend a Zoom group for recovery, right? So that's, that's gone. And nobody wants to come to the church. So the church is shut down. So there's no volunteering happening. <laughs> and you know what? I would have never told you that I was made right with God based on any of those things that I was doing. But I was living like it. And it took root in my identity. And that's how I could tell. Because I could win in doing all of the works and all the stuff that I was doing. I could win at that stuff, but I was glossing over uh, defects in key relationships in my life, defects in my character. I was glossing over those things and I was focusing on the things that I could win at. Doing for God, it should never take our desire, it should never take over our desire to be with God. Doing for God, it should never take over our desire to be with God. And we need to take honest inventory and even bring someone else into the conversation to boldly confront our blind spots so that we can boldly confront healthy accountability around where we find our justification. Now, that's the second thing. The third thing is 
allow bold confrontations around righteous living. Galatians 2, 17 through 21, it says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God. So remember, Paul is talking with Peter here. Suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So Paul is saying, he kind of gives this hypothetical. If you put all your faith in Christ, you put it all in, trusting Jesus with everything. I put all my faith in Christ and you stop doing the law. Would that be a sin? It's a great question. It's a question we all need to ask. It's certainly great for the Jews at the time because, or the Jewish Christian converts, because they, they would need to know what does God want from them? How do they live a righteous life? And what Paul is trying to say to the Galatians, what he's trying to say to us is, look, we, we've, all, we've all failed. I mean, how many of us are keeping with our New Year's resolutions? Right? How many of us have, have never lied, cheated, or stole? How, by nature, we are all law breakers. We have a hard time staying true to our word. And this is where Paul says that, look, you, I've tried to keep the law and I've failed. And in my failure, I stood condemned. A little, a little word that means uh, separated from God, dead. He stood dead to God in his failures. He goes on, but to live in God, Paul says that he stopped trying to meet all the requirements so that he could live for God. Those requirements were keeping him from God. And to Paul, this act of faith, it brought to life the inner workings of the Spirit. He says, Christ in him. This act of pushing away the law, living in faith in Christ, it brought to life the inner workings of Christ in him, which for Paul meant that to live in his earthly body was a matter of trusting God. And this right here is, is the beautiful hope that we have in Christ. Think about it. We all have those hurts, habits, hangups. We all have issues. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be a, a physical ailment or, or some chronic impulse or an addiction. Or maybe you just love your job so, so much. In all of those places, 
when you think about it and you want to do something about it, Paul would come alongside you and he would say, hey, trust God. <laughs> no, I need to go to recovery. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do something about it. Paul would say, trust God. He would say that trusting God is the first thing all the time. That trusting God is what we should do first. And yet we get this so wrong. We do everything that we can. We strive and we fight and we try to do everything we can to rid ourselves from sin. And Paul would say, would you trust God? Would you stop working so hard to keep the requirements of the law and just trust God? To put all your faith in God? I recall when I first came to Christ, he immediately took a meth addiction away. And I was, I, I thought it was amazing. Um, but he left some other things. He left some things that I had to work through. And I am so, so glad that he left those things. I'm so glad that he left those things because I, I think that God has used my brokenness to keep me honest before him. In other words, my, my knowledge of my brokenness, it creates space for trust and faith in God to grow. And that is the righteousness of God in my life. I don't know exactly how it all works and, and everybody's experience is different, but here's what I do know. That I, if, even if I struggle with something every single day till the day I die, when I go to be with the Lord and all these things are laid out, I want to be able to say, I gave it all to you. I gave it all to you. I trusted you in my brokenness, in my strength, it was all yours. That's all that I had in this world. And this, this is Paul's point, that your doing, it will never give you favor with God. It will never give you right standing with God. Your being, your trusting, your faith, is what gives you right standing. And this is a bold confrontation that is best explored with folks who love Jesus and love you. Because to get this wrong is to miss the gospel completely. You, you'll find religion, you'll find good works, but you're not going to find Jesus. Just a few short years after this bold confrontation, there was actually a little meeting called the Jerusalem Council. And at this meeting, they declared the gospel is done based on faith and trust in Jesus, not by works. And that decision has echoed throughout the years of the church 
even to now. It's the grace, it's the faith that we stand on. And it all started with a bold confrontation. And this for us, this should be so encouraging. If, if you've been living your life kind of on an island, kind of just, you know, my faith is, is my faith and, and me and Jesus got our thing. Let me just lovingly encourage you that for a, a growing, for an authentic faith, it needs to be challenged. There's things in us that need to be opposed. We need our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to pray for those right now who, who want to accept your righteousness, your justification, that they would want to be made right by faith, by trust in you alone. They're tired of striving in this world. They're trying, tired of trying to do works for righteousness sake. God, would you come alongside them? And God, would you do what only you can do in the nature of accountability? Would you bring people to our lives that would be able to boldly confront some of the blind spots that we have. We want to do this thing well. We want to do this thing well with you. We want to love others really, really well. Would you help us to do that, God? Would you bring people like Paul to our life to confront us boldly? We thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful lesson from your word. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com, or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.